everyone, and welcome back to the Gryffindor Common Room. I'm your host, Retta. And I'm Michelle. And this week we are joined by a very special guest, my best friend. Hello, it's me, Emma. <laughs> Hello, Emma, and welcome to the show. We are so glad to have you. I am glad to be here, and I'm excited to be here. <laughs> oh, I'm thrilled you're here, too. <laughs> Um, yeah, we already had a very long discussion between those two just freaking out about their mutual love for Snape, so that was great for me to sit in on. <laughs> um, Emma, can you tell us some information about your about yourself, your house, your favorite book, all of that? Okay, so uh, I am a Slytherin. Yay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Secondary house would probably be Ravenclaw if I had to really think about it. It, for a while, um, we got, or um, I think it was, I don't know who, I thought it was Loretta that guessed it was Gryffindor, but I'm a very analytical person and a chronic overthinker, so I think that puts me firmly in Ravenclaw. Favorite book and movie are the same answer, and there are two of them. My favorite movie is, movies are Prisoner of Azkaban and Half-Blood Prince. Movie-wise, it's because I was enjoying, I, I was enjoying myself watching the first two movies, but by the third movie, I'm watching Daniel Radcliffe right before he blows up his aunt, and I'm like, oh, I get this character, and I like this mm. character. Um, and the Half-Blood Prince movie is pure rom-com nonsense. It's very different from the book tonally, and it might be to its detriment, but I love it so much. It makes me giggle. That's very good in its own right. Mm-hmm. Bookwise, um, it's the same answer for different reasons, but for this, it's the same reason. For both of them, I love them because of world building. All of the books have solid world building and have good stories behind them, but it's in Prisoner of Azkaban and Half-Blood Prince that I feel the most like I'm in a very wide world. Like in Prisoner of Azkaban, there's the scene where Harry Potter sneaks in to hear the conversation between a lot of the teachers about his dad and about his dad's friends. And it's like, that's not necessarily a warm scene, but it made me feel warm inside as a writer, because I'm a writer, because I'm like, ooh, this is, this is more of the world. This is stuff that's branching outside of what Harry is experiencing and Ron and Hermione are experiencing, and that's amazing. And then Half-Blood Prince is much of the same thing, where we're seeing them explore these memories through the pensive, and it just makes the world feel bigger and more like developed and it really makes you appreciate how good of a writer jk rowling is and it's awesome um yeah i went on i went on a tangent (laughs) it's all good tangents are allowed here (laughs) yeah we go on tangents all the time yes we do patronus my patronus is a wolf um and i like it my wand is poplar uh, with a phoenix feather, I had to look that one up. I had to refight. I had to reset my password on Pottermore because I could not remember my wand. Um, <laughs> oh, characters. Uh, so I have two of them, and they're ca- they're really back and forth over which is my favorite, kind of depending on the mood. 
One of them is Ron Weasley. I've related to Ron Weasley ever since I picked up the books. The, he's he's very good. And then my other favorite character is Snape. I love he's such an he's such a fascinating villain because of his moral ambiguity throughout the whole story. Cause I will not I will not tell you he is a good person because he's not. But that's what makes him fascinating because of the development of he's neither good nor bad. He's just a selfish person trying to try trying to do something, trying to do a lot of things. So I I love I love complicated characters and I love complicated stories and I love Snape so much. See, you you'll like when we have the uh, great Snape debate then because I point out a lot of things about Snape. And, and until I got the chance to really do a character analysis on him, I thought the same thing. I thought he was very selfish. I still think he's selfish, but for underlying reasons, not just because this is who he is. So I can't oh, wait exactly. for you. I can't wait for you to hear the great Snape debate. Then that will be coming oh. up the week of February 13th with Preston. So I can't wait for it. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, and yeah, on that to Emma and any of our other listeners who would like to weigh in on the great Snape debate, if you have thoughts on Snape, please send us a voicemail and we will save all of the Snape voicemails for the week that we do the great Snape debate episode. I could, I could write an essay. I don't think you want that. <laughs> 60 seconds for voicemail. <laughs> I, I will say, um, and this is just is going to go into it. I'm going to put this out there now. Um, I'm not doing my soapbox rant this week. So this will kind of be my soapbox rant right now. Whether you agree with myself and Emma or with Retta, your view on Snape, don't call either out a, one of us out and say, oh, well, you're wrong. How dare you think this way? We're allowed to have our opinions. Yes. And this is the, the whole debate is happening because Retta and I have this level of respect for each other. That even if we don't come to around to the other person's way of thinking, it's cool. That's fine. I just want to have the debate with her because she's awesome and how close she and I have gotten since meeting. I I think she's one of the few people I could debate where I know my friendship is going to remain intact afterwards. Yeah, because if it gets too serious, we're just going to end the debate. It's not worth breaking up our friendship over because it's a fictional character. Exactly. And you know what? We might learn from the debate. We might each come away with points going, you know what? I didn't think about that. Mm -hmm. I may not fully agree with you, but you know what? Okay, I see your point. So... If you're going to leave a voicemail, also please be respectful towards Retta and I. Just be kind. Be kind. Yes. So you know what? We didn't plan on my soapbox today, but that was my soapbox. There we go. I'm done. <laughs> we'll save the fancy transition music for your next one. <laughs> there we go. All right. <laughs> All right. On that note, today we do have some character birthdays. First and foremost, to our... Least favorite Defense Against the Dark Arts professor, Gilderoy Lockhart, whose birthday is January 26th. Least what? favorite? Gilderoy least favorite. is your least favorite? Yes! And there's Over one. Umbridge. There's yes, and I'll tell you, no, and hold on, let me tell you why. <laughs> okay, 
Hold on. It takes a certain amount of, how do I say this without cussing? It takes a certain kind of jerk, put it that way, to obliviate memories from people to claim their work as your own. To be an upfront, okay, Umbridge didn't hide who she was. She was evil and she ran with it. Okay, we know this. Okay, did she think she was evil? No, not so much. Lockhart knew what he was doing was wrong, which is why he obliviated memories. And you can see what happens when that spell goes wrong. Look at him. He ended up in St. Mungo's. Okay, so again, and he was willing to obliviate a child so that his secret wouldn't get out. That's a whole level of just being a jerk. You see, here's an interesting debate in and of itself, because to me, all of the things that Gilderoy Lockhart did are crappy and evil, but I cannot get past Umbridge. Umbridge is a special... Okay, also, we have to... Hold on. We also have to look at... uh, Here's another thing. Was Umbridge actually a teacher because she never taught a damn thing in that class? So... Did she actually teach them anything? No, she was more like a glorified babysitter. And I have never honestly considered her a teacher. She taught them how to be sneaky. Ron and Hermione and and Harry already knew how to be sneaky. Polyjuice potion in the bathroom. Come on. (laughs) That's Um, true. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No. And I never did consider her a teacher. In all truth and honesty, she never taught them anything. You cannot classify yourself as a teacher. She was a glorified babysitter and a hall monitor, and that's all she was. And High Inquisitor. Yeah. Gilderoy didn't teach anything either. (laughs) I'll just leave these the rest of them for you three to nick up. Thanks. (laughs) Right. No, I... But that's the thing. And again, though, Umbridge never hid who she was. She was nasty and evil, and she ran with it. I I don't disagree with you there. I think this is very much down to perceptions of what's yeah. And like, I, that's the thing to me. The whole like the things that Umbridge did to me are far more vile than the things that Gilderoy Lockhart did, even though he was dishonest and awful, and he knew about it. I can't forgive Umbridge. I can't. No, I, well, I can't forgive her either. My biggest pet peeve in the world is liars. First and foremost is liars. You want to be a jerk to me? You can be a jerk to me all you want. I don't care. I will, I can dish it right back out. (laughs) And and (laughs) Retta, Retta laughs because she knows. She's heard me. Um, I can dish it right back out. So I probably would have been the type to stand up to Umbridge and been like, okay, you and I are going to have some words. Let's see who the biggest you know what is right now. Um, However, liars, that's where I draw the line and that's something I cannot forgive or forget. And that is why I despise him. So he is my least favorite Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. So happy birthday to that idiot that's sitting in St. Mungo's as we speak because he got obliviated by an 11-year-old. Um, and then, <laughs> they were 12. 
Okay, 12-year-old. Um, and happy birthday to Lily Evans Potter. Hers is January 30th, 1960. Yeah, very good. Um, so yeah, today's main discussion, we're going to be discussing major characters from the books that the movies sort of messed up, did dirty, all of that sort of thing. Uh, with that, we're going to be discussing the entire series pretty in-depth. There will be spoilers abounding. Oh, yeah. Can't get through this without spoilers. All right. So the main part of this discussion, we're going to start with the major characters. And I'm going to do a quick run through of the characters, and then we'll go piece by piece. Now, I'm not saying that any of these others were not, quote-unquote, major characters, but they weren't in the same rankings as screen time following right so we're going to be talking about harry hermione and ron because of course the golden trio was done wrong we're going to be talking about jenny and we're going to let the retta have the floor with that one we're going to be talking about the rest of the wheezy yeah wheezy weasley family if i can speak today <laughs> Woo! we're going to be talking about my favorite character sirius we're going to be talking about Albus Dumbledore. Love him or hate him, there were some points he was done dirty. Harry, did you put your name in the goblet of fire? I, he asked calmly. We are never going to stop harping on that. Ever. <laughs> nope. Never, never stop. You can't. We're also going to be talking about my favorite pairing, or one of my favorite pairings at least, for Canon, Tonks, and Lupin. We're going to be talking about Dobby. And, of course, McGonagall. So, we'll start with Harry. Um, Retta, you want to lead off with, with Harry? And Yeah. Um, I will say Daniel Radcliffe did a great job. Yes, he did. Executing mm -hmm. the character for how he was written. Um, I think they cut out a lot of Harry's sass. You know, it's criminal that we didn't get. Well, that's my nickname. Or, there's no need to call me sir, professor. Uh, he just wasn't as well developed in the books as he, or in the movies as he was in the books, and I think that's pretty common for book to movie adaptations. But there just was a lot of his heart and his sass that was missing in the movies. You're not wrong. Um, you know, and there, there's so much they they left out as far as seeing his mental and emotional um development on that as well for example he did use the cruciatus curse on one of the caro siblings mm -hmm. to defend mcgonagall that's a big thing right there mm -hmm. uh because that shows a lot of his attachment to mcgonagall which yes we saw a little bit in the movies you saw him um you know when snape was going to and i'm putting this in quotes, attack McGonagall, um, you see Harry stand up for her. Mm -hmm. But you don't see it in other places. And in the books, you do get that vibe that he is very close to her. They, they have a uh, biscuit potter. <laughs> okay? That implies a relationship that we did not get to see on screen. And... I wouldn't say that she was a mother figure to him, but more of a, maybe a grandmother figure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
so when you take out those relationships and you don't see Harry's growth and development within them, that's, that's a problem right there. Because we go from seeing this kid who's, you know, uh, trying to take on Fluffy and, and uh, doing wizarding chest with Ron and Hermione and um, dealing with uh, the, the keys and getting on a broom and trying to catch the right key to open the door. We see that and then we go to, you know, the end where he's taking on Voldemort. Where was that development? Yep. Mm-hmm. Just wasn't there. No, no. And and Dan, like you said, Dan did a great job, but that should have been on the directors to be like, "Hey, let's show some more of this." Well, that's definitely uh, if we're if we're talking about book to movie, and that's kind of just going to be a lot of. I think a lot of where some of these problems start, where you cannot communicate a character from book in the same way that you can. In movies so you got to figure out ways to work around that and these movies didn't find good ways to work around that sometimes or they didn't have the time to do that or they had the time and Retta and I, this is a discussion Retta and I just had and this stays on topic but goes a little off topic here I for the first time just saw the extended cut for Philosopher's Stone so I just saw the scenes that were cut off and reading about the director saying, oh, that scene didn't fit. Okay, maybe it didn't fit for you, but for the fans, it fit. And I, one of the directors even said that, oh, you know, well, I just didn't think it fit. I know the fans wanted it in, but just didn't work for me. You know, good for you. <laughs> but it worked for us. And... You didn't make the movie for you. You made it for the fans. So cutting out these pivotal scenes of seeing this stuff and seeing like Harry's growth and development and seeing, uh, for example, more of his relationship with Cho. You know, we we don't get any of that really in the movie. Uh, and then next thing you know, you see him jumping into this relationship with Jenny. You don't see that little bits and pieces here. So all of a sudden you think, oh, well, Harry's a playboy there, you know? And and that's not the case. No, he had tiny little crushes on both of them that just, like, kept growing and growing and growing until finally it was like, well, I'm going to have to do something about this. Exactly. Exactly. So, but say it, we've all said it once, we'll say it again, Dan did a fantastic job. All, all the actors did, really. So, okay. again, when we're saying this, we're not taking anything away from the actors. The directors, especially when you're dealing with children, the directors had the say-so. The directors could have said, hey, you know, this is what I want to see from your character. This is how they were in the books. Let's try to portray this a little bit more. Yeah. And let's not forget the writers, too. And not mm -hmm. passing around blame, but we sometimes, I definitely get into the habit of, oh, it was the director's fault. But no, there's a chain of people that went into the approval process that, or that resulted in whatever we got, good or bad. So, yeah. Right, but the, the writers, you know, and, and this is where I'm going to defend the writers. Um, the writers aren't the ones seeing their going, okay, so I want to see less of a smile and more of a smirk, or I want to see you look sad in this scene, you know, and that's where 
I don't think they they realize we wanted to see the same facial expressions we read in the books are what we wanted to see in the movies. That's fair. You know, yeah. so another character, the Golden Trio, uh, Hermione. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Rudd and I had this discussion. Um, they gave, and this kind of ties Ron and Hermione together, but they took Ron's best lines, they gave them to Hermione. They didn't need to do that. Hermione was awesome in her own right. They took away so much of what made her awesome in her own way by giving her the things that made Ron awesome and then just turned Ron into a very flat side character. Can I go on a little bit of a tangent? Because go I, for it. Okay, so in the books, Ron and Hermione have a very balanced relationship as Harry's two best friends and very balanced with the main character as Harry. Um... The movies do what a lot of movies do with their female characters, and they overcompensate. Uh, meaning, like, anything anything development-wise is thrown out the window. They have to be smart. They have to be strong. They have to be kick-butt. They have to be all these things instead of making a character that's one of those things and maybe has a couple of flaws. But the thing is, with Hermione's writing in the movie or in all the movies, is that they gave all of both Ron and her good qualities to her and gave Ron all of the flaws. It it unbalances the characters, and it's so frustrating because when you do that to a female character in anything, it speaks of an underconfidence of writing a female character. I've said the word female too many times now, but I think my point stands. And that's the thing. When I was watching the movies, I had no issue with Ron because I like gingers. I have a pro. I, I watched these in high school for the first time. But I'm watching this and I'm watching the development of um, her or Ron and Hermione. And I'm seeing what they're doing to Hermione, not knowing anything about the characters in the books. And I'm like, wow, I hate Hermione. She's really irritating because she's so underdeveloped and I don't like her. And it made it made it really hard to actually like Hermione in the books for a while. It took me a whole read through to really appreciate Hermione's a really cool character. And Ron's a really cool character. And I'm a lot like Ron as well. So, yeah, tangent over. Well, and that's the thing, okay? They did have all those traits with Hermione. She was kick-ass. She was tough. She was strong. She was smart. And yeah, they downplayed her looks in the book, but she was pretty in her own right. But here's the thing. They weren't... And Instead of saying, okay, let's look at how she's kick-ass. Okay? She's kept these two boys in line for how many years? Okay? (laughs) So... So instead of looking at that as being her kick-ass, they're like, oh, let's make her kick-ass in a different way. No, we liked her in the books how she was. Extremely smart, extremely brave, extremely in tune with everything that was going around her. I mean, she founded SPEW. She was in tune with everything that other people weren't. She figured out Rita Skeeter's secret about being an animagus. Exactly. 
Exactly. And she then, figured all this out. She was kick-ass. So why take that away from her? Um, and I, I'm a big defender of, of Emma Watson, too, because she is a very beautiful young lady. She was a very beautiful little girl. And a great actress. And she was. Oh, my. She still is. I say was. But especially near Harry Potter, she was. And I think they didn't utilize her to her full potential. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they they did Hermione wrong and Emma wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, and part of the entire balance of the trio is, you know, Harry's just there. He can be a little clueless about anything that's going on with everything. Teenage boy. Yeah. You know, Ron knows all about the wizarding culture and the wizarding world and, you know, the fairy tales and the things that they grew up with in the wizarding world. Hermione doesn't know those things. You know, when Draco calls her a mudblood, she has no idea what that term means. But Ron's the one that gets angry and comes to her defense because he knew what that meant. And so by taking away all of Ron's knowledge about the wizarding world and giving it all to Hermione, they just totally unbalanced their whole dynamic. Exactly. Like, yes, Hermione had more book smarts, but she didn't, you know, she didn't, you can't learn all of that wizarding culture stuff out of a book. Book no. smarts and street smarts. Yep. Right. And, and both. <laughs> yeah, you did. Um, and that's where we lead into, in, into Ron as well. And, you know, they, they did Ron dirty. Rupert did a great job. Um, oh he really personified Ron for me. But Emma, you're you're a big Ron fan, so that had to cut you pretty deep. Well, I didn't know it cut me deep until the rewatch of the movies, because I watched the movies first, and mm-hmm. then I loved the movies so much that I read the books, and I fell in love with Ron as a character, and then suddenly I'm watching the movies again, and I'm just angry, because it's like, wait, that was a cool... Wait, what happened to that cool moment? Or that cool moment where he defended Hermione... Uh, from Snape or that other cool moment where he informed everybody on yo this is wizarding culture this is what happens this is how it works because the thing about Ron and uh, Hermione and Harry is they don't know this stuff they're ignorant and he is not and ah, he's such a cool character like the his love or his ability to play chat or wizard chess so well his ability Mm -hmm. to understand things it his courage his courage his righteous courage which is one of my favorite qualities about him because the boy will fight you and i love it i'll be a knight exactly i'm so mad that we don't get to see that in the movies i'm furious Well, and then, you know, we have the whole relationship between Ron and Hermione, which, you know, it was more than their final kiss scene in the book. There Mm -hmm. was so much building up to that. And we miss all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We miss the fact that Hermione spent summers at the burrow when Harry wasn't there. Now... We don't know what went on during that time because J.K. never told us. And, you know, that's fine. She didn't have to. If she had done that, that would have added so many chapters that we just probably would have been like, nope, skipping this. But we know that they had time to build a friendship and a relationship 
without Harry there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was another thing. You know, they should have put more interactions with them. You know, some of the interactions in the movies were cute, like the when they first see Buckbeak, and you know, she grabs his hand, and then they're like, "Oh, wait, no, no, no." Okay, that was cute. That's adorable. It's very adorable, and it's very, I think, Ron and Hermione. Mm-hmm. Because I, when she's distraught, and this is one thing I do love, when she's distraught in the movies, she always hugs Ron. Mm-hmm. And I love that because she's not embarrassed at that point. She's thinking, okay, this is the person I lean on. This is the person I go to. But none of us ever got to see why in the movies because they didn't show the real Ron. They didn't show the Ron that Hermione knew. Here's another interesting thing. I was surprised when I was watching the movie because I knew bits and pieces because the same year I got introduced to Harry Potter, I got introduced to Tumblr. So I saw bits and pieces of all of Harry Potter, which got me interested in the movies in the first place. Um, But like I'm watching the movies and I was surprised, positively surprised, when Ron was the one that ended up with Hermione because in and of itself, that's unique because he's the deuteragonist or the secondary main character. One of two. Anyway, um, he, uh, sorry, totally lost my train of thought. Um, so I was surprised by that. And then when I'm, or, but I'm like, uh, it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a flat relationship, though I appreciate what they were trying to do here. And then reading the books, and especially, and this is another reason I love Prisoner of Azkaban, because we really get to see the start, like we see bits and pieces, but now we're seeing the start of how these two interact with each other, especially with the whole Buckbeak or not Buckbeak, um, with um, Crookshanks and mm-hmm. Scabbers, Scabbers and all of everything that's happening and how angry they get at each other, but like the conversations that they have and it's like, oh, oh, this is actually juicy and this is, this is actually full and developed and I love it and it only, it gets better from here or from there and I love it. Well, and that's another thing. I can see them. This gets off on a little tangent and then we'll go on to the next character. I can actually see them as adults where he, you know, she wants to, you know, pass another bill through um, the ministry and he's her biggest supporter. You know, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. I can see it when he's like, hey, I want to stop being an Aura. I want to work with my brother. And she's going, hey, that's great. I hope, you know, I want you to be happy. I want you to do what makes you happy. You know, financially, we're okay. We don't need this. You know, we don't need you to have some big. And I see Ron being the one that wants to be almost the stay-at-home parent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I see him being the one going, I don't care what society says about the dad being the stay-at-home parent. This is what I want to do. And Hermione going, cool. You know, I'm going to go accomplish all the things. He's a Weasley. What's social expectations to that family? Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, he's probably the one too, that the second she, you know, didn't get a bill passed through the, uh, the ministry, he's probably the one with a cup of hot tea waiting for at the end with a bubble bath with candles going, I love you. You did your best. Here we go. 
what can I do for you? And at the same time, when she does get one, he's sitting there with butterbeer or a glass of wine and some chocolates going, I knew you could do it. You know, you're, you're the most amazing woman ever. And I see them being each other's cheerleaders. Yeah. Well, and another thing that I think the movies really miss out about Ron is just his insecurity from growing up poor and especially like just he and Harry are so juxtaposed juxtapositioned yes <laughs> i don't know what word i'm trying to use juxtapositioned whatever <laughs> they they complement our opposites in very matching ways because you know harry never really had a family that cared about him you know was never hugged like he was like by a mother before mrs weasley but then he enters the wizarding world and he's got more money than he can spend you know money's never an issue for him but then Ron, on the other hand, has had so much family and no very little resources to himself. Okay, quick quick note. You, you just brought something forward. Um, going back to Harry, that's another thing that's kind of bugged me when people go, well, you know, if he had so much money, why didn't he share it with the Weasleys? Okay. He tried. They wouldn't take it. Well, well not only that, okay, but let's also look at he probably only had limited access to the funds. I'm pretty sure the wizarding world is set up like the muggle world. And at under age 18, you don't have full access. You ha might have partial access to buy your necessities, which, yes, he could have probably reimbursed them for food or whatever else they bought him. Okay, that probably would never have phased uh, anyone within the bank. But he couldn't just withdraw all the money and give it to them. He probably would have. Mm -hmm. But he couldn't because he was a minor. So just putting that out there. So one, he gave his Triwizard Tournament winnings to Fred and George. That was a thousand galleons that, you know, he could have kept. But he knew that they would put it to good use, that they wouldn't be able to get it from anywhere else, that Ludo Bagman had cheated them out of all their savings. And he knew that the world needed what they had to offer. Yes. All right. So our next character is Jenny. And Retta, I want you to take the lead on this because that is your, uh, that's your girl. Take it away. Jenny is my girl. Honestly, I think she was underdeveloped in both books and the movies, but especially so in the movies. Just with her personality and the fact, you know, she is fearless. She would sneak out her brother's brooms when they were noticing so that she could practice Quidditch and become an amazing chaser. And also be able to play Seeker and win the House Cup playing a position that she doesn't usually train in. Yeah, you know, she has that major crush on Harry when she's really little, you know, like 11, 12 years old. And then her and Hermione talk about it. And Hermione's like, you know, maybe you should try branching out. And so Ginny does. And she chooses to be her own person and goes out and dates other people and doesn't let things with Harry define her. And she ends up becoming a professional Quidditch player you know, she's not afraid to tell Harry off when he's like, well, I think I might be getting possessed. I don't know. And she's like, well, gee, it's a shame you don't know anybody who's been possessed by Voldemort. Me? <laughs> like, <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> she's not afraid to call him or Ron out on their nonsense. Yes. And she's just fantastic. And she's a master of the bat boogie hex, which I just think is fantastic that you just hex somebody and turn their boogers into bats flying out of their face <laughs> heck, heck of a thing to experience oh my gosh 
Can you imagine? Which I read up some on that, and that can be very deadly. So, you know, <laughs> don't mess with Jenny. Just don't. All right, so let's, since we're, we're talking about Jenny, let's move on to the rest of the Weasley, Weasley, Weasley family. This has been a very long day for me. Huh. You're just look. Yeah. This is what happens when you get up at six fifteen in the morning and you didn't go to bed until one in the morning. Okay, so you know, I'm just saying. So I'm, I'm <laughs> gonna start with Molly and Arthur, and I'm gonna lump them together because Arthur not seeing his fist fight with Lucius. Oh, I miss. Oh, I wanted just to see him. Knock Lay the him hell out. out of him. Yes, knock Spill the hell out of him. Tackle. Yep. Yep. So we didn't see that. However, I will say Molly was the bigger disappointment than Arthur. Mm. Because Molly was a lot more motherly than she came across on screen. Mm-hmm. And and she did come across very motherly on screen, but she came across as that worried mother all the time, not just the loving mother that we mm-hmm. knew she was. We we miss her giving Harry the watch for his birthday, her brother's watch. You know, yeah. we miss that. That is a significant thing for Molly to do. She lost both her brothers during the first Wizarding World, and here she goes. Okay, here, Harry. We accept you as family. So, here, here's my brother's watch. Molly yeah. was kind of, she's kind of a fourth favorite character for me. Because I have a friend, uh, she was a family friend who I babysat, dog sat, and house sat for her. But she was Molly Weasley, basically. She took people in. She made people comfortable. She was the one person that said, there's food in the pantry. Please take it. She's one of the few people where it's like, yes, it's perfectly acceptable. In fact, encouraged to eat at her house. And, mm-hmm. and she was just always very warm and friendly. So I always love Molly Weasley because she reminds me of this person. Well, and we miss, too, her taking trying to take on the Bogart at uh, number five Grimmauld Place yes. or number twelve Grimmauld Place. Oh my goodness, <laughs> because that was so key to her as well. And I really think that she tried to take it on on her own because you know she was the one that was stuck behind at the house, wasn't able to go out and fight these battles, and so she wanted that opportunity to like go out and prove to everybody else she's just as accomplished as they are. And then when she yes. sees her greatest fear of all these people that she loves dead on the floor. Know, and it, it goes through and we have you know each of her kids comes through we get Fred and George at the same time and Ron and Ginny and even Harry is in there because she was trying to take it on herself right and I think I wish we had seen more of the relationship between Molly and Arthur mm. because you know they they've got very different parenting parenting styles whether you're talking books or movies, it's same thing, you know. The clock that she has, where prison is an option on that clock. <laughs> you know she put that because of four of her children. Charlie, Bill, Fred, and George. And her husband. 
No, I, I'm pretty sure those four went up just for her, those kids. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure, you know, Charlie and the, I'm going to go work with dragons, Bill, I'm going to go be a curse breaker for Gringotts and probably get into some illegal crap. And then just friend George being friend George. She's like, yep, someone's ending up in prison. I mean, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree since uh, Mr. Weasley enchanted a car illegally. <laughs> and kept it in his chicken coop. <laughs> Point proven. Point proven. But, you know, he was smart enough never to get caught. You know, friend George are just like, hey, we're going to go steal the car. Come on, Ron. We're going to go rescue your best friend. Seriously, kids? Come on. You can <laughs> Oh, oh. Bed's empty. No note. Come on. <laughs> you could have been killed. You could have been seen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I wish okay, when we got the, the scene 19 years later, mm. it, and it wasn't in the books either, I think that if we had seen her with her grandkids or her with Harry or her with Hermione, um, I think we would have seen a very bonded relationship there. Uh, there, there's a pick of fan art out there where it, it's Ron and Hermione at the burrow with Hermione pregnant, and Molly's just got this giant smile on her face, like, "Oh, yay, she's pregnant with my grandchild." And I think she loved Hermione as much as she loved Harry. Yep. Uh, we don't see that. Except for when she read Rita Skeeter's article, but Ron corrected her on that. Correct. Correct. But I think, you know, after that, I think she came to realize, okay, Hermione is a good person. And especially when she got with Ron, she probably saw how happy Ron was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I wish we had seen more, a, a little bit more of that or some kind of interaction. That would yep. have been nice. Um, you know, there, there's Charlie Weasley. We got nothing of him. Yeah. In the movies. He, he appeared in the one picture in Prisoner of Azkaban, didn't he? Yeah, yeah but that was a fill-in actor. That's not even... <laughs> Wasn't even um, technically cast. <laughs> right! Anybody have a ginger uh, or ginger that can show up on a screen? Anybody know a guy? Relative? Anybody? You. Right, yeah. because even if you look at... We can't even take that picture seriously because look at Bill. He's in that picture. Mm-hmm. And then look at Bill we get in the movies. Totally different. Yeah. So, you know, but missing Charlie, taking him out of that. I mean, I just want to see him go and, and rescue baby Norbert. I, I, I love that Tumblr post that talks about how it's like basically, you know, Charlie and his friends are all at grad school and then his little brother's like, hey, do you want to come smuggle out this illegal dragon? And they're all like, that sounds like more fun than homework. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And then we have, we have Bill, who, yes, we do get him, but we missed him getting attacked. Mm -hmm. We missed that whole scene with Fleur. Oh, criminal. You know, we missed their entire relationship. And I, I'll be honest, in the books, I despised her. I was actually calling her Flem <laughs> for the longest time. Here's the thing. I had a, 
I I always wanted to know other people thought about this because I'm like, they're being really mean to her, like really mean. What's with that? Why are they so mean? I kind of get it, but they're ruthless, all of them. I I think because we had this perception um, until Bill was injured that she was with Bill because he was so good looking and he was a talented curse breaker, and she's it was kind of like, oh, this is what she can get from him. Mm-hmm. It probably helps that I watched the movies and I knew that they would end up together. Well, even if we knew they ended up together, we didn't really get. And I get it that the book was called Harry Potter and whatever. And that's how they were all titled. But to see a little bit more of that interaction between Bill and Fleur, instead of just getting Molly's perspective, Ginny's perspective, Harry's perspective. Um, if we'd seen Bill's perspective, maybe we would have liked her more. But we never get that. I think part of the thing with Fleur, too, is that a lot of the traditionally feminine traits in characters in the books tend to be villainized. You know, we see, like, Umbridge is really into, like, cats and pink, but she's, you know, like, quote unquote, the most evil character, one of the most evil characters in the series. And, right. you know, Flora at the same time, like, it's not her fault that she's part Vila and that she's really beautiful. And, you know, yes, she uses her charms on boys as well, but it's not even always intentional. And I right. think a lot of times it's just this own implicit bias that if women are beautiful, that's all that they are. And it's like, mm. she was so much more than that. You know, the goblet chose her out of a co-ed school, boys and girls, not just right. the best of the girls. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I, what turned me around was that, that, that line of, you know, I'm pretty enough for the both of us. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, that kind of was like, okay, she really doesn't care what he looks like. She's with him, obviously, because she loves him. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, she's willing to make these adjustments, you know, like uh, the comment about he likes his steaks a little bit more on the rare side. Mm -hmm. She's fine with that. She's just like, okay, this is who he is. I still love him. And that's great. So um, then there's Percy. We missed a whole lot with Percy. Yes. Redemption. Yes. Give me a character with a redemption arc that doesn't have long, dark hair. Please. I beg you. <laughs> right? Well, I, I I would love to to ask Chris at, at the next LeakyCon. I'd love to ask him, how do you feel about your redemption arc not being there? Mm-hmm. And he may have covered that in a panel. I don't know. Um, I didn't attend any of his panels. I feel like he mentioned that they might have actually filmed him coming back right before the battle of hogwarts i think that he mentioned something about they actually filmed that it okay. just didn't make the final cut but i could be totally wrong on that i might have if if i decide to do another autograph session with him i will ask him yeah we'll do a gryffindor common room interview with him ah uh, you know what let's just tag team that all right i'm i'll buy the <laughs> autograph i'll buy the autograph just so we can have it that whole redemption arc not being there the, the heartbreak that Molly goes through with her son not being there. Um, hmm. Where, where was that? Well, in the movie, um, 
if I'm correct, we see, li- like, the next thing we see that's crucial with Percy is him with uh, Scrim- Scrimjaw? That's his name? Scrimjaw. And it's, like, visually communicating that Percy is at, on somebody or on the wrong side of this to a certain right. degree, but it's like, that's not enough, especially considering how much it hurt the rest of the family and probably how much it hurt Percy because Percy's still a Weasley. Right. And that was, that was one of the things I questioned. I was like, well, well why am I not seeing this? I, I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. Um, and I'm trying to think. It was Charlie's the oldest. Bill. Is Bill? I thought Charlie was older than Bill. No, Bill, Charlie, Percy. Okay. Fred and George. Ron okay. And so, okay. So that's got to really kind of suck then for Charlie because, you know, if this is his baby brother. You know, in, in order of birth. And then to find out, like, that would have been a great thing to see, too, how this affected Charlie. Yeah. So. Especially because he's not there for any of it. You know, he's just off in Romania doing, you know, managing dragons and stuff. And, like, that would just be weird to know that, like, yeah, so your brother's off you know, your one brother decided to disown the family and told your mom and dad all these horrible things and stormed off and said that they're all horrible people. And your other brother is, you know, mm-hmm. sick with spattergroit and, you know, is actually traipsing off in the countryside who knows where. And, like, that would just be so hard to, you know, get all that communication by owl from a distance and not be able to do anything to help. Well, you know, and, and that's, here, here's another thing going to the Weasley families. I would love to have seen more of their history. And again, I get why JK couldn't put it all in because if she had put in every detail in there, we'd still be reading the books right now mm-hmm. and not finished. Mm-hmm. But Arthur is a black. His mother was a black. Mm-hmm. I totally did not know that. That just kind of blew my mind for a moment there. Yeah, his mother is a black, and I her first name it begins with a C, and I can't remember like how she ends up that way. But yeah, he yes, his dad is Septimus Weasley. Mm. That much I knew. I can't remember the mom's name, but she's a black. So I would have loved to have seen kind of that going on. So was Arthur cousins with Sirius and Bellatrix and Narcissa then? Or was it more distant? I think it's more distant than that. We'll get into that when we do our yeah, uh, Pure Blood Family do, Tree uh, episode in February. Yes, because we are going to do a family tree on that. So uh, let me see if I can find something real quick. Oh, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a while. Yeah, it, it goes back. I, ju- I just pulled it up. It goes quite a bit. So, yeah. Okay. But she was a Slytherin. And she was disowned. I did find, I just looked real quick. She's a Slytherin and disowned. 
the more you know. Yeah. And burned off the black family tapestry. So, you know, she's got something (laughs) in in common with, I guess that would be her cousin or something. Um, Mm -hmm. Yikes. Okay. All right. Okay. I I find that quite interesting. So, Mm -hmm. Um, but yes, covering stuff like that would have been great. Just so we knew a little bit more about that. Yeah. The more you know. I had no idea. Her grandfather was Phineas Nigilius Black. That's her grandfather. Oh. Oh. See the things you can find out. My mind just is like, yeah. That's going to take me a bit of process. I'm going to, yeah. Need a couple days to recover from that. Good grief. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if, if you really want to, you know, look back. I mean, they're they're all related. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess it's it's all just one big uh, craziness. Yeah. Yep. Anything else on the Weasley family? Um. No, I think that's really it. Mm-hmm. On to my favorite character. I was just going to say, we're going to let you take this one away. Serious. Yes. You know, we see the, the first time we see him and we know it's him. Uh, besides for the, the, the moving photo and all that. He's crazy. He's, he's you know, been escaping. He's... Going after Wormtail, don't blame him. I would have been crazy too, and I would have been going after Wormtail. But I feel like between we see all that, then we see him very calm, and 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 I'm talking movies here, and we see him thanking Hermione, and then we see him again, and he's perfectly normal. There, there's a lot missing there. There's a lot of, of his character development missing, books and movies. So I, I, I don't, I don't yeah. know. I, I, I was very disappointed in that. And in the books, too, we miss the fact that, like, he basically stopped maturing at the age of 21 because that's when he was sent mm-hmm. to Azkaban. So then when he comes back at the age of 33, he still acts like he's 21. Mm-hmm. Right. And it comes across as immaturity and like yes he does have some moments of great wisdom where he's you know really able to be that father figure to harry but there's a reason that he's seen as a father slash brother figure to harry and not just a straight up father figure and that's because he still engages in a lot of the same shenanigans and childish behavior that harry does because he still acts like he's 21 mm-hmm. right and we see and we don't see so much the animosity between him and Snape, which I really wanted to see in the movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Him calling Snape snivelous, which, okay, I get, and here's the thing. I get him and Snape not liking each other, okay? I'm, I'm not expecting oh. a friendship there. Oh, yeah. But, yes, Snape let it out about Lupin being a werewolf. And I kind of agree and kind of disagree with that at the same time, by the way. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. They were able to be in the same room and not call each other names. Snape Mm -hmm. and Lupin. Okay. These are two characters who 
yes, are both fighting demons, but can be in the same room and act like adults. Mm-hmm. And then we have Sirius going, okay, Snivellus, dude, grow up. <laughs> I mean, I've layered on top of that, was it Dane? I forgot Harry Potter's uh, dad's name. James. Um, James. What? James, thank you. Um, James, or was it James or was it Sirius that accident, or not accidentally, that um, tried to trick Snape into running into Lupin when he was in his werewolf form? That was Sirius. Um, and that's, and, and that's the thing. That's the thing that, that gets me is we're, he's still got that immature attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's kind of what pissed me off in the movie. We suddenly get this mature attitude. Where'd that come from? Right. If you look at, you know, for example, when Mad-Eye, Tonks, Kingsley, they all go and rescue Harry. Okay. And they take him to Grimwald Place. And as they're going into the meeting room and you see Sirius sitting there with Lupin and he's being very mature and very grown up. That's not the same Sirius we got in the books. At all. Mm-mm. And the, I'm not trying to make this sound like this is a defensive Snape, but it kind of is. I don't think I would have forgiven someone who almost got me killed as a teenager either. I don't uh, think I would have forgotten that. The animosity no, went both ways. <laughs> well, okay. In fairness, Snape didn't try to kill him. Yeah. By That's running true. him into, into a werewolf. Serious took it too far. Also, not that the not that this okay, is an yes. use for anything either, but they did actively bully Snape too, so I can understand him kind of hating all of them. Right. Yep. But here's the thing, you know, we've got so here here here's my problem. So we've got this animosity, it's still there, it's never gonna go away, they're never gonna be BFFs. But what you're seeing in the movies is some very adult characters. Um, no. No. And I expect that from from Snape and and Lupin because they did manage to work together. Uh, They weren't thrilled about it, but they managed to be like, hey, we're adults. We're on the same side. We need to behave as such. And and Gary Oldman was fantastic. He really was. They, they, They nailed it with Gary Oldman, but they needed to put more of that childlike behavior in there. Yeah, and just have him consistently act the same, you know, if you're going to have right. him still have that mental and emotional maturity of a 21-year-old instead of somebody in their mid-30s, mm-hmm. let's keep him consistently that way. And I'm not saying that 21-year-olds are idiots or aren't, you know, mentally and emotionally mature in their own right, but there's a huge difference between a 33-year-old and a 21-year-old. Right. A huge difference. And, well, and, you know, and and... Again, and this is this is not Gary Oldman's fault, but again, they're casting older actors in these roles, portraying thirty-some-year-old. Um, I just read something that, uh, so Severus Snape's birthday was January 9th. He would have been sixty-three years old. That was the same age that. Alan Rickman portrayed him. 
at 63. So you've got a 63-year-old portraying a 32-year-old. And again, I they could have done so much with special effects and aged him down. They want Alan to portray him, that's fine. But CGI it, something, anything, make him look younger. Same thing with Gary Oldman. Now their makeup. <laughs> right. Now now Lupin, I don't think I would have seen him wanted to see him look younger just because of all everything he's been through as a werewolf. Um, I mm -hmm. think that was is a good touch to make him look older because he was supposed to look older. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was described that way. But the others, you know, if you want us to remember that this is a 32-year-old acting like a 21-year-old, fine. Then show me a 32-year-old. Don't show mm -hmm. me a 50 or 60-year-old person. Mm -hmm. so yeah. they they did him dirty with that that was just and I think that had Sirius lived he would have finally matured I think he finally would have grown up well if he'd had the chance to actually get into a healthy place because he yes. breaks out of Azkaban spends a year on the run and then he spends a year living as a dog feeding off of rats outside of Hogsmeade and then mm -hmm. he spends a year trapped in his childhood home, which was horrible and abusive, constantly, you know, getting snide remarks from Snape and from, you know, and his mother's his portrait. Mother's portrait. Yep. Absolutely. And that would be creature. so traumatic. Yeah. And Creature was off. You know, he and Creature were awful to each other. I mean, as, you know, the master in the situation, Sirius had should have been the bigger person and. Mm -hmm. not treated creature the way that he did um <laughs> but then at the same time and i'm i'm not i'm not saying slavery is right in any way shape or form but creature knew what was expected of him in this mm -hmm. role and, and creature liked being a house house self i don't think he could have ever been free i think he would have gone the same way as winky and become an alcoholic and everything else and when we see his redemption in the final story we see that, yeah, he does actually like his job and like being a house elf. Right, exactly. So if you kindness. like being a... Right, you like being a house elf, though. Don't taunt the person who's supposed to be in charge of you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it, if it had been anyone in a sane mind, because obviously Sirius did not have a sane mind, anyone else would have been like, oh, you want to talk to me like that? Here, open this. Oh, is that a sock? Bye. <laughs> so, you know. Well, Sirius couldn't release him because he knew that he would just immediately go over to Bellatrix and Narcissa and the rest of the Black family and spill all of the secrets from the Order, you know, that the Order of the Phoenix was trying to keep to Voldemort's side. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, either that or I would have been like, okay, you're not allowed to go clean my brother's room for a month. Yeah. <laughs> That would have really gotten to Creature right there. But it made a huge difference once Harry decided to start treating him with kindness and dignity and respect. You know, when he gave him, like, Master Regulus's locket and Creature's whole attitude just totally turned around. Like, he was no longer using slurs to refer to Hermione. He was no longer being rude and impertinent. And he actually cared about what he looked like. He did a better job cooking and cleaning the house. You know, that kindness and respect went so far. Right. But I don't think he ever, even if Sirius had treated him that way, I don't think he would have ever shown 
Sirius that kindness and respect because of his loyalty to Sirius's mother. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And therefore, oh Sirius could have been like, oh, you're the best house elf in the world. Here, I want you to have this and this and this belong to my brother. And Creature would have been like, yeah, and screw you. Yep. I always read it as Sirius was mean to Creature because Creature was fouled to him first. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how I got it. Um, and you know, and again, I'm not saying Sirius was right to be like that, but also you've got someone who's, like you've pointed out, is well now, and I'm, I'm sure he had PTSD from being in Azkaban for all that time. So you've got someone now with mental health problems. It's not being portrayed as he's got mental health problems, so I had a huge problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's not going to treat a house elf <laughs> very well. He's not going to treat anyone very well. Yeah. Poor Sirius. <laughs> yeah, I know. I I wanted him to have such a good redemption arc, and then they killed him, and I cried. I uh, Yeah, he and Dobby are the two deaths that, like... I will cry every single time I reread the book or rewatch the movies. Like, there's a lot of characters that I've cried at various points when I've watched it, but those are the two that every single time get me. I'm glad they didn't show Hedwig's death in the same manner because I would have lost it because I, oh, the book killed me with that. Yes, that that just. I know. There's that. Uh, have you seen that post? It's out. On, it's on everything. It's on Instagram. It's on Facebook where someone took Hedwig's death scene and rewrote it and taped over the book where Hedwig's like, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm just going to fly away until this all calms down. Mm-hmm. I, I That is now canon to me. Hedwig flew yep. off. She was done. She'd had enough. <laughs> yep. She said, uh, yeah, see you later, Harry. <laughs> I'll be back I- when this all blows over. Yeah. I'll live in that headcanon. I love that. It's a good headcanon to have. I, I say we officially make it true canon now. Yeah. I'm good for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if Star Kid can make Hufflepuffs particularly good finders, we can say that <laughs> Hedwig survived. <laughs> she flew off and then she met a nice owl and then they had owlets and Harry and Jenny used the owlets. Oh, you <laughs> adorable those tiny little snow owls would have been (laughs) that's adorable that's our new canon that is gryffindor (laughs) common room podcast canon i love it love the story all right so emma i'm gonna ask you to take the lead on this one what about dumbledore dumbledore i mean Did you put your name in the goblet of fire? We can we can start with that, but go for it. It's I don't know. That's the thing. That's the thing that always gets me. It's like somewhere you have misunderstood what this character is. Where um who was the original actor that passed away? I can't oh crap, Jared, Har- Jared Harris. No, Jared- no, Richard, Richard, Jared's Richard his son. Harris. I don't know actors' names. You know this. I'm horrible with actors' names. Jared is the one I said to recast into that. Um, Richard Harris. I feel like Richard Harris had a better vibe and maybe understood Mm. the character Mm. different than what's-his-face who took over. Michael. Thank you. I'm bad at names. Um, But, like, it's such a it's such a weird thing because Dumbledore has Dumbledore's a 
weird character as far as it goes because he's prevalent through all of the books. His role is very important and not always apparent how important it is. And by the end, we see what he's doing. And you guys tend to agree with my... Uh, where I'm at with him, where it's like, Dumbledore was not a good guy. Not at all. He was a manipulator. There are a whole lot of manipulators floating around Harry. It's great. The poor kid. Um, give mm-hmm. him a proper parental figure for Pete's sake. Anyway. Yes. Um, but it, it's such a wild thing because it's like you, you would not be on your top, the top of your list if you were just thinking about this off the top of your head of characters that were mistreated. But if you really get down to Dumbledore's purpose within the story and what he's doing throughout all of the story and just his general attitude, it it's wrong. And I can't always put words to why exactly it's wrong. It just doesn't feel like Dumbledore. Well, I think a large part of it is that Michael Gambon's Dumbledore especially is just very angry and aggressive and mm-hmm. loud and upfront about things. Whereas Dumbledore in the books is generally very calm and reserved. So when we do see him get angry, like when Umbridge starts to shake uh, Marietta in Dumbledore's office, that's when Harry notices, like, oh, Dumbledore is scary when he's mad. Oh, yeah. Like, it's a significant thing to notice, Mm -hmm. you know, that far into, you know, midway through book five, that's when Harry sees him angry for the first time. Whereas... You know, like book four, like the entire time he's just grumpy, he's angry, he's yelling all the time. He's not that whimsical old great-grandfather that probably should have retired a while ago, you know? But that's that's the face that we, for the most part, see throughout the stories. It's a genial, like, old wizardy type that's approachable and kind of goofy sometimes, and... Uh, very understanding and very relatable and all these very positive attributes and we see bits and pieces of oh this is who this guy is especially in um order of the phoenix and onwards we start to get the big picture of who this character is yep yeah and we're we're getting a completely you know having two different actors and again that that was i don't think ever intentional but you can't mm-hmm. help it when someone passes away. Mm-hmm. You have to recast, especially a major character. That's not someone they could have ignored. Mm-mm. So, you know, that's fine. But, again, I, and this is where I go to the directors and go, okay, you could have sat there and said, let's do this a little differently. Let's keep on with how it was. You know, this is how Richard Harris portrayed him. This is how we're going to continue to portray him. And while even Book Dumbledore was manipulative as hell, mm-hmm. I think seeing it, and this is where I will say that the movies did change our perception of some of the characters. Uh, because I think we would have looked at him maybe a little bit differently if we had pictured in the books, for example, Richard Harris. But by that point, with the books coming out, we had Michael portraying Dumbledore, not Richard. And so we saw that manipulation easier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but, you know, 
it is what it is. And again, death is not something that they can control. Otherwise, yeah, we'd have a lot more actors still with us. So, all right, let's go on to my favorite pairing, Tonks and Lupin. Yes. They're so cute. They are. And we missed, this is one area of, of the, where I say the books, I don't felt, did it. I don't feel like the books did us dirty at all. I think we got a very good understanding of their relationship. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, we see more of it from Tonks' side, but that's fine. We don't have to see it from Lupin's side, but we see it from Tonks' side. We see her Patronus change. We see her go to her mousy brown hair. We see her just kind of down in the dumps. Um... She's not changing her face to make people laugh anymore. Mm-hmm. And then there's the whole hospital scene after Bill gets injured. And she's like, see, he's been bitten. It doesn't matter to her. And he's like, but it's different. He'll, he's not a full werewolf. And she's like, I don't care. We don't see that in the movie. So we don't understand the hardships that they went through. Uh, because obviously he did love her. Uh, if he didn't, he wouldn't have argued, made those points. He would have been like, sure, I'll be with you. Who cares what happens to you? Mm-hmm. Worse than that, the, we don't see, we don't see this at all. We get jump scared with the birthday or with the, <laughs> we get jump scared with the relationship in the last yeah. movie. And it's like, oh, wait, what? Who are these characters? Cause I'm face blind. I am very face blind. Um, so face blind right. that I did not notice the difference in recasting and Dumbledore until the third time watching those movies. It's fine. But yeah, I'm face blind, so I'm like, wait, who are these characters? Who am I looking at? Yeah, no development whatsoever and nothing memorable right. enough for me to register their faces as anything significant. Right. And his narrative as a werewolf to me is very relatable, like as somebody living with a disability, because, you know, Tonks is like, Well, I don't care, I don't care and he internalizes that so much and he's like, well, it's a huge burden on me. I don't want to put that burden on you either. And I just think that really speaks a lot to like, you know, people with living with living with health issues or any sort of other burden in their lives. And it's like, if somebody really loves you, they don't see that as a burden. Like they love you and they care about you as a person. And they're, they just want to come alongside and help share that burden with you. It doesn't become a burden on them. But also when you have that disability, speaking as someone who also has a chronic disability, um, <laughs> you don't believe that. You yeah. he- you hear these people that are trying to connect to you, whether it's romantically, whether it's familially, whether it's platonically, and you struggle believing that because all of your life, your disability has just been a burden to everyone around you. And it's been difficult and it's better for you to be alone right and you know even uh, uh, i have uh three uh main major disabilities well for me they're major for other people they'd go eh, it's not a big deal um one i knew i had since birth the other one i wasn't diagnosed with until i was in my late thirties. And by then I had already been married. And I remember having this discussion with my husband of what are you going to do when I can't walk around with you? What are you going to do 
when, you know, going to the store becomes a major thing for me and I'm going, look, pointing to a wheelchair mm-hmm. and he goes, I'll go get you the wheelchair. And the, the first time it happened, I, I, we went to the store together and we're, you know, I just walked through the doors and I looked straight back to the, the end of the store and I, I just kind of sh- put my head down. He's like, what? I was like, can we just go home? I, I can't do this. He's like, okay, do you want one of the motorized scooters or do you want a wheelchair? And, and I went, um, what? <laughs> like, this does not shame you? Because I think we're, we're in our heads. We're going, okay, I'm not worth it. I'm not worth it. I'm not worth it. Mm-hmm. And when someone like Tonks goes around and goes, yeah, you are. This is, this is a minor thing to me. Doesn't matter. Even if it's major to us, they, they don't care. And, and she really showed that. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, the three of us all living with disabilities all go, oh, you know. That just warms my little heart. So yeah. To me. Like, that's, that was incredible. I love that. And I, I think, too, I, Retta and I had this conversation, too, of we don't know what Tonks looked like. Uh, and when I say that, and I, again, we know that she can change her features. She probably never had the same face every day. Because, again, look at her job. She's an aura. I am willing to bet that the only person who, besides her parents, who ever saw her true face was Lupin. I love that headcanon so much. Mm -hmm. I think he is probably the only person where she went, I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not. Here's me. That's so sweet. I love that so much. Because I think, yeah. So I, that's just, that's my little headcanon. That was so, like, one of my favorite moments of LeakyCon was, like, the ball had technically ended, <gasps> but they were playing time after time, and there was two cosplayers dressed as Tonks and Lupin that were slow dancing to time after time, and I just wanted to cry. It just was so happy. And Kelly's like, we're leaving before I cry. <laughs> yeah, Kelly's like, I want to go to bed. <laughs> it's like, why? She's like, because I'm going to cry if I don't. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Man, I wish... <laughs> I wish I would have joined you to see that. Like, I had a good reason not to go, but boy, do I wish I could have been there. Hey, Chicago's still on the table. Yep. Dang it, I thought we were going to make it an episode without talking about LeakyCon. <laughs> it's I'm not going to happen. No, I, I have nothing to apologize for. I just realized that. Nope, I was the one that brought I'm, it up. I'm debating because it sounds fun. I'm just terrified of traveling. Yeah, but you have uh, you have me and Retta there, and you'll meet uh, Melissa and Emil, and they're really awesome. And Kian should be there again. And see, mm-hmm. we'll just introduce you to a bunch of people, and you'll have automatic friends. And there's that. So, um, okay. <laughs> anyway, Leaky Con, Leaky Con. Okay, <laughs> done with Leaky Con. Okay, we have time to get through two more characters here. Yep. Um, we will probably have to. Do it part two. What, Emma, what a shame. We're going to have to invite you back for part two. Oh, I'm oh, so no. heartbroken. Oh, no. Oh, the travesty. The horror. 
All right. I'm I'm just glad you guys would theoretically want me back. So Of course we want you back. You know what? You know, I would love to just smack you upside the back of the head for even thinking we wouldn't. So that can be arranged. Here's the thing. I just I I said I said it before, I'm a chronic overthinker and it's I'm good at public speaking. I've even done radio before. I just, this, like, I got really nervous because I'm like, I don't want to be a bad guest. Ah. <laughs> I'm going to make Snape sit here and stare at you. My Snape plushie is going to sit here and stare at you. And gets the camera. He gives yes. me so much comfort. Uh, I'm posting a picture of this in the Discord. <laughs> Go for it. All right, so let's go on. Are you done taking pictures of Snape? <laughs> no. Okay. Okay, let's go on to Dobby. Dobby is a free elf. Oh. Dobby is a free elf. And it is criminal that we did not get him hardly at all in the movies because he appears... Because th- he's in... Chamber of Secrets. I'm trying to think if he appears in any of the other movies until we see him in at the end of movies. No, no. Yeah. So it's like no, it's this random, this random creature that you met when you were 12. That you then like. He suddenly appears at the end of movie seven when you're 17, and it's sad that he dies. That doesn't make any sense. But then in the books, like he's there every single year, and mm-hmm. like he forms a friendship with Harry, and it's significant because he comes and he works at Hogwarts after Harry frees him and so he's you know there to help Harry with whatever he needs and to support him you know he's the reason that Harry even survived the second task well and and his relationship with Winky Mm -hmm. yeah and his rivalry with Creature Mm -hmm. yep we don't see that and those were all pretty significant things as far as character development goes but you know, yes. we didn't even get Winky at all, and Creature was also didn't didn't get what he deserved. We didn't get to see his redemption at all. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's it's such a shame. And, and we didn't, you know, we knew he belonged to the Malfoys. We don't get in the movies why he hates the Malfoys so much. Mm-hmm. So. It's outlined in the books. But that also feeds into like why why the or why the house elves are so mistreated and why Hermione is inspired to create Spew in the first mm-hmm. place. All of that because she sees how Dobby is treated and she starts to see mm-hmm. how the other house elves are treated. Exactly. Exactly. And I agree her heart was in the right place. I, I think the house elves probably at Hogwarts were treated a hell of a lot better. You know, I don't think any yep. of them wanted to be free because they pretty much had a good life. Which actually I think is part of the reason Winky had a problem because, you know, she had been mistreated for so long belonging to the Crouches. And then, you know, Dobby and the other elves are having such a good time at Hogwarts and she's like, nope, I can't. Nope, 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 nope. So, and here's me overthinking as I do because it's like Hermione's not wrong, but also maybe the way she's going about this is wrong because right now all all but one of the house elves she knows is opposed to how the house elves are treated, 
the house elves believe for some reason that this is an appropriate way to be treated meaning there's something deeper there's something more systematic there's something more social brainwashy whatever that's causing them to believe in that and there's like there are levels to this and this is me overthinking jk rowling's world because that's what i do it's like why do they think this way is there something historical that makes them think this way stuff like that well you know and and it goes back to the you know they're quote-unquote slaves but were some of them treated horribly we we don't go into every wizarding family we don't know how they're treated Mm -hmm. you know um we don't know if maybe McGonagall had one and maybe she treated that thing like it was made out of gold and, and it was the most precious thing in the world because I can see that with McGonagall, mm-hmm. you know, where she'd be like, you, would you please wash my clothes today for me? Or would you please iron this for me? Mm-hmm. We don't see that. So we really should have gotten a whole more with all the house elves in exactly. the books. Well, and even when Dobby goes to work for Hogwarts, you know, and Dumbledore's like, well, you know, I could pay you 10 galleons a month and you can have weekends off and you, you know, you can do all this stuff. And Dobby's like, oh, no, 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 that's not what I want. I want like one galleon a month and one day off a month. That's all that Dobby wants because he likes to stay busy. And yeah, I think Hermione's heart wasn't the right place. It was just her methodology of trying to just randomly free them when they themselves said that they didn't want to be free was the wrong way to go about it right mm-hmm. yep but all right and mentioning mcgonagall back there that brings us to our last character minerva mcgonagall mm-hmm. what a boss <sighs> takes four stunning spells to the chest spends a couple days in the hospital but she's fine like she's <laughs> fine She's probably immortal, I'm pretty sure. I think she died and Death just was too scared to tell her. (laughs) (laughs) I just picture that Death is going, you know what? I'm nope, I'm not I'm not going. Nope. You can't make me. I'll talk to someone else. I think the house off just died over there. I'll take care of them. Yeah. (laughs) I can't. I can't. Nope. 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 She, she can live another 500 years. It doesn't matter. I, I can't claim originality for that idea. I, I saw that on the internet, but it just amuses me. You know, I will say again, though, that that was perfect casting with Maggie Smith. Uh, she really brought that sass forth. Yep. And the funny moments, like, I've always wanted to use that spell. <laughs> you know, it's just, I love it so much. Oh my gosh. And, and um, you know, when she tells him to go blow stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> a propensity for fire- pyrotechnics. I'm not going to try yeah. her accent. Particular- yeah, I was going to try it. And then I was like, no, that's a bad idea. Particular proclivity, proclivity for pyro- pyrotechnics. I love yes. it. Yes. But again, we should have seen more of McGonagall, especially when you have an actress who pulled off the attitude, who pulled off the spunk, who pulled off the humor, where I, I can't even get mad at the directors because she she is McGonagall. She was the perfect McGonagall. They just should have. Right. 
I mean, there is nothing about her movie portrayal I would change, except I wish we'd seen her more. Yeah. Yep. Especially in Order of the Phoenix, she has such excellent moments, and we don't get to see any of them. Yeah. Have a biscuit potter? Mm-hmm. Or, um, oh, what's the one? Clear, uh, clearing your throat? <clears throat> Cough drop, Dolores? Yes. Yes. Ahem. <clears throat> I love it so much. Are you quite sure you wouldn't like a cough drop, Dolores? <laughs> <laughs> right. I, there's so much about her. Oh, man. That, and I have no doubt in my mind that Maggie Smith would have just made it a thousand times better. Yep. <laughs> that is probably one character that I think I like more from the movies than I did from the books. Just because of how Maggie Smith portrayed her. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and it was even weird, like, going back to the books and being like, oh, wait, she's described as having black hair. I totally mm-hmm. forget that she's not, like, gray. I don't know about you, but, like, when I read the books or when I listen to them, especially when I read them, um, sometimes they take on, for me in my brain, they take on fusions of both how I imagine them, like, uh, there's a little bit of the movie character and a lot of bit of other stuff that the book mentions, but Dolores just doesn't change in my brain and her accent doesn't change. Not, not Dolores. Minerva. Minerva, thank you. <laughs> Minerva <laughs> doesn't change in my brain when I read her and her accent doesn't change because that's how McGonagall is supposed to sound. She doesn't sound like anything else. Correct. Yes. And again, just absolutely perfect. And here's the thing when you're describing her having black hair, and I just pulled this up because I wanted to quote this right. When Tom Riddle came to Hogwarts, Minerva McGonagall was in her second year. So she was only a year older than Voldemort? Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Curiouser and curiouser. Yeah. So. You know, if they were to have put anything more into the books, I would have loved to have seen her reaction to Voldemort, considering that was a classmate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that would have been just a little bit. Yeah. That would have been interesting. Because I think, let's see. It says here she was born... October 4th, 1935. And then Tom Riddle. No. Uh, and I'm not getting a definitive answer on him. But yeah. Well, he also, I think, came to Hogwarts a little bit later. But still, the fact that they would have been around the same age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I love that one uh, Instagrammer and TikToker. Chan Willis, I think her name is, that does all of the McGonagall impressions. She is just, she's spot on and she is so, so funny. Just absolutely hysterical. She is. She is. So, she's great. She's great. And I will have to research that more and see about them going to school together. But I think the ages add up, anyways. But. Yeah, we'll have to follow up on that uh, when we do our part two. Yeah, we will. All right, so. 
Yeah, because this is, yeah, <laughs> we've had so much to discuss. We're going to have to go through our other ones uh, and just let everyone know when we do the part two with Emma, we'll be going over minor characters like Lockhart, uh, the Centaurs, uh, Filch, Ollivander, Creature, Winky, Peeves, uh, so forth. And yeah. and a lot more than that. Yep, we could go on for a long time. <laughs> Y'all yeah. know this already. <laughs> That's the podcast. Yep. So there's a reason we do this. Because <laughs> <laughs> we know we're awesome. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. And hilarious. Mm-hmm. Of course we are. <laughs> Have you met us? <laughs> All right. So we are now on for the Quizzler. Uh-oh. All right. Every time we have a guest on the show, we will have two surprise questions for them to answer. Emma did not get a heads up on these questions either. No, I didn't. So... I'm, very, I'm very afraid. <laughs> All right. We're going to start with Retta's question for you. Okay, if you taught a class at Hogwarts, which class would it be and why? Hmm. Ooh. My f- I, okay, I'm going to go with my first in... Ooh. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe not. You stumped <laughs> my her. First, my first impulse was potions because there's some math, there's some methodology and stuff to that. And I'm like, no, Emma, you're a bad cook. I'm pretty sure potions would be <laughs> in the same family um okay. i would agree with that assessment <laughs> uh, i'm your best friend talk. i'm allowed to say that <laughs> i know um okay thinking about this i think that's the thing i'm trying i think i we don't hear a whole lot about arithmancy but I think mm. I would love arithmancy, and I think I'd be a good teacher of arithmancy because it's mm. math, and I love math. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, my question for you has to do with Snape because Yay. you and I share a love of the character here. Yay. All right. My question for you, though, is it might be a little bit difficult here. Uh-oh. Um, we know that Voldemort has no problem... Um, performing the Avada Kedavra when he kills. Mm -hmm. Uh, He even tried it on Harry as a baby. What, in your personal opinion, is the reason that when it came to killing Snape, he did not use Avada Kedavra, but instead used the snake? Hmm. I'm so glad you didn't ask me this question because I would have no idea. I have another impulsive question, but I'm thinking about it. Hmm. Just, I'm trying to figure out if this if this answer is valid. It it's your opinion. It's va- so therefore it's valid. I think. Hmm. I stumped her. <laughs> this is. Uh, I keep wanting to verbally process. Um, you can do that if you need to. My f- okay, so my first couple thoughts are um, a snake is far more painful and far more drawn out, but 
does Voldemort want to inflict pain? That is my one thought. My other thought is, with Avada Kedavra, you have to mean it. Would Voldemort mean it? Because mm. he's, that's the thing. He's very, what's the word? He doesn't understand love, and I don't know if he understands a lot of emotions. I think he just does things. I think he's kind of coded as sociopathic, not giving him an actual diagnosis, because I'm not an expert, but I think that that is kind of the direction we are supposed to assume, being that he is conceived from a love potion. Um, that's... That's... Hmm... But again, he's never had a problem using that spell. It's, exactly. It doesn't phase him. So what made this case so much different? And he also doesn't, even to people that are loyal to them, he has no emotional issue either. So in theory, he would have no emotion with Avada Kedavra. I mean, I could give the easy answer and say, or give the quote-unquote doyalist answer of J.K. Rowling needed him to survive long enough to give um, Harry Potter the information, but that's not the fun answer because that's the doyalist. I want to. Sorry, that's writing flingo. But and and the, there's no way to say that you know if he had per, uh, you know tried the Avada Kedavra that the tears still wouldn't have come. Maybe Snape wouldn't have voluntarily given him up, but they may still have come. The memories still may have come. I think this is my thought, and this was my first thought. Voldemort doesn't understand love, but that does not mean he doesn't understand hate, which is why I don't think he's technically sociopath. Um, but he, we've, he's shown maliciousness, he's shown contempt, he's shown anger, and a, a lot of very negative emotions. And I think that with the use of Nagini instead of the use of a very easy and painless thing, is the fact that it's painless. And that I think Voldemort likes to inflict pain and likes to pe see people suffer. That is my theory. Okay. I like that theory. That That's part of my theory on it, too, so I'm, I'm glad I got to hear you say that as well. I have cool. another theory with it, but that's part of my theory. <laughs> So I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear that from you. Okay, that was that was I'm, good. I'm glad you let me verbally process because that's how that's how I do things, Loretta. No, that's, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. All right. Well, we have no voicemails uh, today, so we do have a few shoutouts. The first one. This is a shout out to everyone who has been listening and sharing. To everyone who has stuck us stuck this out from the first episode to the people who have just started listening in thank you so much um red and i have become a little bit uh, obsessed with checking our stats and to see this podcast get the attention that it has been getting has totally blown us away has totally blown our minds uh put the biggest smiles on our faces and just made us so thrilled. And we thank you guys so much for being there every step of the way for this. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We cannot say thank you enough. You know, we just kind of started this podcast because we were like, hey, we're friends. We both know a lot about Harry Potter and we're hilarious. We should 
make a podcast and see if anybody listens. And then to see the way that the show is just growing and more and more people are getting engaged um, has just really meant the world that, you know, hey, other people think we're funny, too. That's pretty great. Uh, And also another quick shout out. It came to my attention that, you know, Preston has been talking to other people about he's been having fun on here. So Preston, big kudos to you for coming on once a month and doing this and being amazing and supportive and just a reminder, Preston, as to why you are one of my favorite humans ever. Yes, thank you for putting up with our Gryffindor shenanigans. (laughs) Um. Because we're loud and we argue a lot, but we love you. Um, <laughs> we love you, Preston. Um, yeah, also wanted to give a shout out to the Franchise Den, uh, my friend Cal, um, another podcast that's also in the Needlessly Nerdy Podcast Network. And he covers everything in his show. Uh, a lot of superheroes and supervillains lately, uh, but he does do a lot of themed months. Uh, back in October, he did a bunch of horror movies. Um, and those synopses and reviews were amazing. Uh, he did a bunch of Christmas movies in December. He's going to be doing a Batman month come March, which sounds absolutely phenomenal. Um, he does weekly box office reports, top five listings, just a ton of different nerdy pop culture topics. So if you are into movies at all, definitely go check out the franchise then. All right. And also we've got the Needlessly Nerdy Podcast Network. Uh, It is your source for all things nerdy. Um, Network of nerdy podcasts covering a wide variety of nerdy topics. We've got Marvel, Star Wars, DC Comics, Harry Potter, and so much more. Check them out. Their link is in our show notes. You can also find them at www.needlesslynerdy.com. And to them, thank you for all your support and help and everything else. Yes. Absolutely. We love being part of that network and just getting to connect with people. And yeah, it's just an awesome network. So definitely check them out. Yes, please do. All right. So just a reminder, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, and we are on TikTok. The link is in the show notes. Find us there. Reach out to us. Send us messages. Share our post. Anything you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We are also on Discord. I've started posting a bunch of memes and cartoons and other just fan content that I find on the internet in the Discord server just because I think it's hilarious and like share it with other people. And also, if you like to see Retta pick on me, she does a good job of doing it there on Discord. So feel free to join and and feel free to watch her pick on me mercilessly. It's great. I may or may not have sent a gif of one cat just like chewing, chomping, nom, nom, nomming on another cat when Michelle told me to bite her. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was very it was much us. It, it was, and it was us. I can actually see her doing that. Uh, also, don't forget, you can send us a voicemail uh, or an email. You can reach us at GryffindorCommonRoomPod at gmail.com. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Emma. Like we said, we're definitely going to have to have you on for part two and maybe even a part three of this because it was fantastic. I am happy to be a part and I'm very happy to be invited. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any uh, socials, podcasts, anything you'd like us to promote? I have 
a podcast that will be happening. It hasn't happened yet because I overshot on the first episode as far as research goes, and now it's three episodes, potentially. But when it comes, it will be called it will be called the Perspective Hero uh, podcast. Prospective, not perspective. And it will be a podcast examining the genre of superhero stories and what we can take away from sto- or from those stories. I also have a sculpting Instagram where my le- my latest project that I haven't posted the finishing pictures yet is a Romani wedding sculpture. I'm pretty excited to post the final pictures once I figure out how to fix the Patronus. So that's upcoming. And I do a lot of other nerdy sculpture things when I find the time to sculpt. So if you want to follow me there, it's at I see the angel on Instagram. Well, we will link that for you because we'll be happy to support you. Absolutely. All right. Anything else we need to say before we wrap this up? That's it. All right. This was a blast. It was. So thank you all once again for joining us in the Gryffindor common room. I'm your host, Retta. I'm Michelle. Oh, and I'm Emma. (laughs) (laughs) We will see you guys next week. See you next week. The Needlessly Nerdy Podcast Network, your source for all things nerdy. www.needlesslynerdy.com